Hey, if you listen to this podcast week after week, then you will absolutely love my books. There's Travel Light, which basically gives you all of the steps for following your heart. And then there's Knowing Where to Look, which is full of inspirational stories and anecdotes that will help you shift your perspective in the most inspiring way. And for those of you who can't seem to crack the meditation code, grab a copy of Bliss More, How to Succeed in Meditation Without Really Trying, and your meditation practice will never be the same. All of those books are available on Amazon, as well as everywhere else books are sold. That's Travel Light, Knowing Where to Look, and Bliss More. All right, back to the show. With the bodybuilding stuff, I started to become much less of an athlete as I started to feel like oh, I want to pack on all this muscle just so I can feel safe, I can feel like cool, and I can feel like loved, you know, all of these different things. I was kind of hanging my hat on physicality, my worth on physicality. And inevitably, the pieces, if you push the system hard enough, the pieces will start to either wear out or maybe snap or explode or break. And so I started to have that where I was just from such an imbalanced way training my body like really focusing just on like the muscles that i would see in the mirror essentially like i was a big dumb animal so lots of work on building my chest up and you know just all the you know biceps and all things and then that led to a lot of issues so i had you know, shoulder dislocations i had like pretty much like a chronic back pain i would say you know i had like a big ankle dislocation just my joints were like becoming unstable as a product of me really destabilizing them through improper training practices. And so then that turned into me seeking out help. Hey there, it's Light Watkins, your host of At the End of the Tunnel, which is a podcast that features the backstories of luminaries who have found their purpose with large and small causes. And they are now using their platform in creative ways that leave the world a better place. My guest today is Aaron Alexander. Aaron hails from the West Coast of America. He grew up as an insecure, scrawny kid and discovered bodybuilding as a teenager. But after several years of that, his body began to break down. He suffered from dislocated joints, chronic back pain, and many other injuries that are commonly associated with trying to look like you're in peak shape. And he knew that something needed to change, and he began going a few layers deeper than just the surface level training. And over those next several years, Aaron became an expert in corrective exercises and nutrition. Then he started working with people who were seeking everything from pain relief to improved athletic performance. And this led to a fascination with structural integration, which he studied in depth at the Roth Institute in Boulder, Colorado. And today, Aaron has developed what he calls the Align Method, which reveals the five movement principles for a stronger body, a sharper mind, and a stress-proof life. In other words, it's the integration of all things physical, mental, and spiritual when it comes to functional movement. Aaron has also got one of the top health and wellness podcasts, which is called Align Podcast, and there's an episode on there featuring yours truly. Aaron's social media feed is also super inspiring and it's full of creative ways to approach your same old workouts. If you're watching this interview on YouTube, you'll also notice that I'm sitting on the floor while I'm giving the interview, which is something that I was inspired to do from watching Aaron's work over the years. To date, it is the only interview I've ever conducted while sitting 
on the floor. So that was fun. And without further ado, I want to introduce you to my old friend, Mr. Aaron Alexander. And let's find out how he developed the Align Method and what we can learn from it. Aaron Alexander, it is an honor, it is a pleasure (laughs) to see you, to have you on at the end of the tunnel. As we were saying before we started, this is the first podcast interview I've ever done while sitting on the floor. Right. Normally I'm sitting at a desk, but you inspired me to get off of my chair and come and sit on the floor. And people listening to this will understand why that is the case later on. People watching this, they may see you give me any sort of, I don't know, alignment adjustments that you you you're noticing in my posture and you know everything. And that's a big part of your work. And so obviously we're going to talk about that. But before we get into all of that, I wanted to talk about your origin story. But yeah, so just thank you so much for for coming on to the podcast first and foremost. I appreciate you. I'm just so excited about dorking out about all the reasons that doing something as simple as spending time on the ground, the benefits that can have. And it was interesting, before this, you were accusing me of not sitting on the floor. You're like, oh man, we're doing this whole thing. You're sitting in the chair. And you can't tell the difference. You know, I'm really right. like stretching myself out. I'm going 90-90 position. I'm in, a, you know, I'm in a straddle position. I'm in stukasana. You know, I'm helping with circulation. There's all sorts of evidence that suggests that it's, you know, it's helpful with digestion because it's getting your legs closer to your organs. Now your body doesn't have to work so hard to be circulating all that blood. Cankles aren't that attractive to look at, nor are they very healthy for you. There's just so many different, it's just like a no brainer. You know, when you look at cultures, and we will get into the origin stuff, but when you look at cultures such as Northern Africa, Eastern Mediterranean, Southeast Asia, there's various different places around the world that they just kept doing what humans have done since, you know, forever, you know, prehistory, which is just naturally spend more time on the ground. Those cultures have significantly less to none at all osteoarthritis in the hips and the knees, mm. pelvic floor dysfunctions are diminished greatly. I think it's things that are kind of weird like that at first. It can seem weird, but there's so much benefit. And it's actually not that strange because you didn't even notice it. Well, that's what it is. It looks like you're sitting in a chair because your posture, it looks like you're just sitting upright in a chair, but you're so open, obviously, in the hips and in the legs that it seems like a natural sitting position for you. So with that, it's not a mutant thing at all. One, any kid can do all this stuff. We elect to lose these positions and the range of motion in our hips and our knees and our ankles. And, you know, and, and that's just through culture. You know, Culture kind of votes, votes on it for us in a way. And if we allow ourselves to be dust in the wind, then we kind of form into a collapsed position. But within that, the thing that makes where we can all meet, the place that we can all meet, the watering hole that we can all meet at, is us just pushing against, you know, respectfully against our boundaries. And mm. within that, you don't need to be like full Sukhasana sitting on the ground, straight up spine guy. You can raise your hips up even a foot or two feet. You know, you could just sit in a slightly lower chair and kind of slowly start to cross your legs. The big thing is just to have your, the height of your hips up above the height of your knees. Yeah. So if people and are that's, interested, that's what I'm doing. Do I'm that. sitting on I'm sitting on two pillows right now. So my knees that's are just it. below my hips. Yeah. So, so that's the only takeaway that is really that relevant. Like there's a lot of other minutiae in conversations like this. You can just get your hips up above the height of your knees, raise 
whatever cushions, pillows, whatever you need to, for that. And that will set up your lower back, your sacrum to be in a place of stability and support. But if you're mm. not, then you're kind of hunched over and this can be very uncomfortable to sustain spending time on the ground or sitting on a chair. They're the same position, sitting on the chair and sitting on the ground. One is just you're mobilizing your lower body. So I want to get into more of that in a bit. But before we get into that, my kickoff question for my guests is, first of all, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Where'd you spend your early life? Amish country, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, notorious for the Amish country. I grew up in the the suburb parts. That's not as interesting as like I grew up Amish. Although mm-hmm. I did spend a week with Amish people in Belize randomly when I was like 22, which is just mm-hmm. completely random because I grew up in like Amish country, like proper Amish country. But yeah, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And what was the deal? Why were your people in Amish country at that I don't time? Know. You know, you're just born wherever you're born. You know, why are people? No, but born? why were your parents there? Were they, were they work? Were they Amish? Were they work because they the were Amish? just born. They were just born where they're born. You know, they no, nothing, nothing like that. That was just home okay. for them. You know, that was okay. just that was where they grew up. Which is interesting. I feel like for people like you or me, or maybe a lot of people listening to this, I'd imagine if they're attracted to listening to you, the idea of spending your whole life in the place that you're born seems really abstract, which is kind of mm. interesting because that's, you know, a novelty to this new age of, of people, you know, t- yeah. typically historically it'd be like, yeah, you're, you're born. You're, that's where you're at. Now yeah. it's like, it's, it seems crazy almost. <laughs> you know, I'm from Alabama. My whole family's down in the Southeast and they're still there. I don't understand why they're still there, but they're all still there. And I couldn't wait to get out of that place. So I guess there are, those of us <laughs> who break out. And then, of course, we attract other people who are interested in doing the same kind of thing. So but there's something endearing or maybe even potentially could be even aspirational, depending upon the way that a person is in the place that they are, of being okay and like content and actually being happy. And that's the difference. Are you happy and content? Or are you just like settling out of fear? And so it's never the thing that we're doing. It's always why we're doing it. It's never about the thing. Mm-hmm. So I think that a lot of people, you know, they, they suffer from, you know, I, I fall into this category. Like I, at times certainly suffer from like a disease of just having too much options. So it's like the paralysis by analysis. And you spend your time just spinning your gears of like, what about that? What about that? What about that? Maybe like the, the analogy would be like in a relationship, you know, he's bouncing from place to place or relationship to relationship because you never really allowed yourself to go deeper with that one place or that one person. You know, so I don't get any really judgment for people that, that stick around. I think that's cool. Right. Too. When you were coming up in Amish country, if you think back to your earlier memories, did you have a favorite toy or activity as a kid? I love this. I play Power Rangers. I was a big mm-hmm. Power Ranger guy growing up. So I was a Blue Ranger was my go-to. <laughs> and I would spend a lot of time with friends too, but by myself. I remember really enjoying doing like, I don't know, it was like just like interpretive improv essentially, which I think is this is very common among kids, which well, I mean, now, now that I'm, I'm talking about it, I guess that was 30 years ago or 25 years ago or 26, mm-hmm. you know, whatever that time frame. So I guess maybe times change because I didn't have screens to really look at. We had a TV, you know, but cell phones and all that stuff weren't a thing. The iPads, you know, always having like that being the go-to for entertainment. 
So yeah, I mean, I spent a lot of time outside, thankfully, and just doing make-believe stuff. What was it about the Blue Ranger that attracted you? I think I think it was cool, or what my interpretation <laughs> of cool was. You know, I think I liked the color blue. No, I don't think I thought too deeply about that. <laughs> I, think it, I actually don't remember what he was like. I just think I think it was just I think it was just I think he was like the the kind of prototypical cool guy. I think mm-hmm. he's like he was like normal cool. I think, which apparently is what I was aspiring towards at that time. And I'm not that familiar with Power Rangers and, and the sort of the, the lore or the mythology of the power. Are they like the superhero? Are they saving the world or what's the, what's their whole? i don't i don't even know what is their power can they see through things i recently watched mortal kombat mainly Uh because my my buddy makad yeah Yeah. he's he's one of the guys that is i was Uh gonna check mortal kombat out and they went like deep into the history of mortal kombat i'm like like i had no idea like mortal kombat's like you know this got a whole universe they went in on mortal kombat i've never gone in on power rangers so it's a bunch of kids you know, and they had some power. I was just excited about swinging sticks around outside. And I think that was kind of like, you know, inspirational for that. Talk about your household a bit. Were your parents together? Do you have siblings? What was the vibe like in the house? One older brother, his name's Austin. He mm-hmm. was temporarily called Mountain for a while. Now he's back to Austin, which often happens when people create new new names for themselves. So I think it's great. And yeah, mom, dad, I grew up kind of trying to really it was always felt very awkward for me to fit in which i think again i think this probably resonates with a lot of people and still resonates with me today to be honest i feel like out of place in a lot of situations more comfortable in general more acceptance of like yeah like if i feel uncomfortable I'm like well i guess i'm uncomfortable you know like just going the repetitions of that but my brother was like five years older than me and so i was influenced by him and his friends they were like bad kids in quotations, you know? So we were like drinking 40s. We like malt liquor 40s. And <laughs> I was like picking cigarettes up off of the ground. I had like a, like a, like a spare, you know, like an old pack of cigarettes, Newports or whatever. And I would like, this is disgusting. I would go to, especially now, I would go to ashtrays at like random places. And sometimes people would just smoke a cigarette for, you know, they smoke like a few puffs and then go into the place. They really need a cigarette. And I would grab those little suckers and I would fill up my pack and I'd have like a full pack of, you know, that's why my microbiome is so robust. How old were you at <laughs> this time? 12. You, know, you were smoking at 12. <laughs> you were chain smoking oh, yeah. at 12. Well, cause my brother was 16. So he was four, he's four years, five years, like in that, you know, it depends on the month. So I was following suit with what, so when I was seven, mm-hmm. he was 12, 13. So like a teenager and I'm trying to hang out with like the teenagers, you know? And so when I was, a, when I was like 12, 13, I was like 13, I was trying LSD, you know, I was drinking a little bit of alcohol. I got more into alcohol at like 14. I was drinking pretty heavily not heavily, heavily, but like socially, like, you know, what we perceived as like the cool kids, kind of like alternative kids. Mm-hmm. We were getting drunk from age 14, 15 through age 20 or so. The, the most would probably be like four nights a week, but I was into all of those things, like pushing boundaries at a pretty young age, mainly the influence of my older brother. 
I don't smoke, but I can smell it on somebody in an instant. So did your mom or dad detect that you were smoking at 12 years old? We would clean would up. Did you come in the house? No, we clean mm-hmm. up a lot, you know, and so we were doing it. Yeah, I don't know. My mom has an interesting thing. I, I did a whole podcast with her. I actually, I actually wept twice in the podcast. It was like a, mm. you know, one of the most like emotional, emotionally moving conversations I've ever had with my mom. It happened to have been when we were recording a conversation. And but she's she's always had kind of a thing of wanting things to be perfect. And and so if something's kind of like off, she'll have a tendency of kind of like you know, pushing that aside of like, Oh, like that's not happening. You know, like everything is nice. You know, it's everything's in alignment. So she probably picked up, up on it, but no, we don't, I was like, yeah, we were like masterful with like clean, I clean my fingertips and do the whole, you know, pay attention to my clothes that I was wearing and whatnot. It was a whole thing. Sounds like she had her hands full with your dad because he went away when you were 16. So did you yeah. know when you were a teenager that your dad was a bit rough around the edges or was in the, involved in some pretty crazy stuff. So I was like the golden child and my, my brother was like the black sheep. You know, so he was the one that was getting in trouble. And I was always, I played ice hockey and I got really like obsessed with bodybuilding when I was 13, 14 or something like that, mainly out of lots of insecurity. Cause I was, I was just really uncomfortable in my body, mm-hmm. especially before that. I had like the, like a bowl cut and it was like a crooked bowl cut. My mom would do it terribly crooked teeth, which gets into, there's all sorts of things that we can do to help improve the structure of our, our mouth and our teeth. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't doing those things as a young person. That's part of what I include in the book. But so I was the golden child. I wasn't exposed to a lot. I was like the light. And then my brother was like the shadow, you know, mm-hmm. and like the duality of our relationship and, and the family. And so most of the overt harshness or negativity was kind of projected on my brother. And then I was kind of like the other side of that. But my brother left. He went to move to Hawaii when I was like 14 or 15 or so. And then that was when Pop started having real issues with drugs. So he started getting to crack cocaine. We didn't really realize, but he's, he was pretty much nuts. You know, He would kind of split between different personalities. Sometimes he would turn it into this like comedian character, I think. Jackie Gleason or something, or he would say, he would literally just like flip because the stress of his life was too much, you know? Mm-hmm. So he was strung out on drugs and he was starting to pull out all sorts of debt, you know, and taking out loans in the house. And he got into pimping, which I think he, he has like a savior complex. And so I think he was kind of hanging out with these people that were smoking crack and, you know, doing prostitution, things of the sorts. And I think the story goes where he was trying to like protect the girls because like their caretakers or pimps were like really bad people. So he would come up with like bullet holes in the car. It was really stressful. It was a really interesting time. Is this outside of Philly or is this still an Amish country where he's pimping and doing crack? So this is this is this is Lancaster. So Lancaster has a city as well. Uh-huh. So there's Lancaster City, Lancaster suburbs, and Lancaster Amish country. It's okay. if you hear about Lancaster, you hear about Amish country, but it also has a lot very like middle American normalness as well. Uh-huh. So there's a, like a hood component to Lancaster where all this stuff is happening. Yeah. Yeah, there's violence and yeah, there's all there's all things there for sure. Right, it's okay. not like it's not I didn't I didn't I didn't grow up in the city. I was in the suburbs, you know, so I wasn't but I mean it was right there. There's all the all the there's right. the whole all of the colors exist there. 
What sort of life advice do you recall receiving from your parents, if any? Like any mantras or ideologies? Something that was very consistent with my dad that was supportive for me. And like <clears throat> it garnered some level of like trust and appreciation with him. He was, he was always very adamant about honesty. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't always honest. And he was very like religious and he wasn't always like walking the path of Christ. You know, but he was always like a very colorful figure, man. Oh yeah. He's, he's great, man. He's interesting. He's, he's like a, he might now, so now he's all recovered and he like helps people in prisons and the whole thing. Mm -hmm. He actually lives in a church. He's very colorful for sure. He's kind of like enlightened in a way because, Mm -hmm. because he like died. Like he truly died. He was dead. He was dead. I would, I would rehearse his, demise i don't know how many times tens to maybe hundreds of times throughout the day probably depend on the day as a teenager which obviously that's you know it's very disturbing for a young a young boy so i don't mean to like be like cute about it it was i mean it was it was i think it was yeah, you harder said, for me than i realized you said in your book you had you guys were actually happy he went to prison because you knew at least oh, in prison yeah, he, he would be off the streets and be a little bit safer at the time that he went to prison i was absolutely a hundred percent anticipating a call that he was, that he was dead mm. without a doubt. He was at the like complete edge as far as I remember it. So you have that happening, right? Your dad's out doing all this crazy stuff. Your mom is basically in denial. It sounds like, but I don't know what else she's doing in the meantime. And you were building yourself up into this bodybuilder. How were you thinking about success at that time in your life? If you can remember as sort of a 15, 16 year old, and you were sort of projecting your life ahead, maybe, I don't know, five or 10 years. What did you see yourself doing, becoming? What was success? What did that look like to you as a kid? Success for me would have been, I wanted to be a, a physical therapist. So now I'm, mm. I'm kind of like an alternative physical therapist. I think, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, so as far as like monetary stability, life success, that mm-hmm. would be it. I don't know where I wanted to live exactly. I don't think and at that point, I just wanted to be cool. Really, like that was, I just like my mind was mostly focused on girls liking me, which I felt very insecure about. So, to do that, I would you know, really do anything to like garner the respect of other people. So, that was a lot of excessively large beer bongs and vandalism, you know, breaking things and running away and, you know, breaking bigger, badder, gnarlier things to prove that I'm like not scared to be a complete asshole. At the time, I think the kind of keep myself on the tracks mind was be a physical therapist, you know, help people move better at, you know, like at, you know, a young age, like 15, 16, which is so convenient that it happened that my life has consistently gone down that path. But more immediately, I was just trying to be cool. I was just like trying to feel like, like comfortable in my own skin and, and feel like I fit in. Who was your bodybuilding role model? Were you a Ronnie Coleman fan or? Oh no, Arnold for sure. Arnold, Ryan is kind of, you know, he's (laughs) a sweet human. But from what I've seen, you know, I've never, I've never spent time with him. But no, Arnold for sure. Yeah, I watch, I watch, I watch Pumping Iron because the the era of Arnold and Pumping Iron and all that. It was when bodybuilding was actually kind of beautiful, and then it kind Mm -hmm. of took this mutated twist where it was Mm -hmm. just about size and really not like Mm -hmm. anything about like quality or like Mm -hmm. any any level of athleticism. It was just essentially like a circus, which a lot of the old school bodybuilders kind of don't align with that. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, for sure. It was, it was Arnold was my guy growing up for sure. Did you take ballet classes like Arnold and pumping iron? I took ballet classes as an adult. So I've been in a, a couple of, of ballets. They're all very like small scale ballets <laughs> in uh, Bend, Oregon, not like the nice. biggest ballet town in, in the United States. But yeah, so I started ballet, I think I was probably 27 or so. So I started ballet mm-hmm. as an adult. You end up going to University of Hawaii, I'm assuming because your brother was in Hawaii. and You thought, let me go and be near him. Or was there another reason why you guys were all migrating over I, to Hawaii? I was, I was going to go to West Virginia University to go down the path of physical therapy. And I went to whatever they, they call orientation. And during that time, because at the time I was like, wanted to be the coolest guy. So we ended up having some like party thing in my, my dorm room. And there was like, you know, whatever noise and drugs and alcohol and all the things that you do at West Virginia university. And so I was like getting started like real quick, like on orientation. I was like, let's go. And then something happened that my room, you know, whoever police or whatever got privy that like my room was the issue place. And then I had to have some appointment thing with like the dean it was just this whole thing so i was like already starting off in a place of like okay this doesn't really seem like the move and at this point my dad is in jail as well so there was kind of a a combination a confluence of of variables there that was kind of like maybe i go live in hawaii and wash dishes and do personal training and work my way up as the line cook you know and see clients on the beach you know that was kind of the path that i went and you had been out training at LA Fitness or something, right? Since you were sixteen, that was my place. Yeah, LA Fitness, my first first like paid job. Like, not. I mean, I did lots of. I like I sold Christmas trees and all sorts of stuff. I like worked since I was, I was <laughs> probably like eleven or some young age. I was like hustling Christmas trees at this place nearby when I was working the garden center. I was always trying to to make a little money when I was growing up as like a you know a young person. But yeah, LA Fitness was my first proper. Like, okay, I'm like doing taxes and stuff. And I was 16, personal training adults. It was really interesting. I read that you had traveled around. You were like nomading for years or something like that. Is that, that happened after Hawaii or? Yeah. So Hawaii turned, Hawaii turned me on to an influence of different characters, you know, from around the world. Mm-hmm. You know, before that, it was just like smoke and blunts drinking 40s, playing ice hockey, <laughs> trying to be cool and you know, go to get into you know, some decent college. And then I moved to Hawaii. Suddenly I meet people like living their lives, you know, people from Brazil and people from, you know, all around the world and they're traveling and, you know, just a totally, totally different space to be in. And so that kind of opened me up to, I think kind of like, like adventure, you know, it's really inspired by, I wanted, I wanted to, a lot of my traveling was in large part a product of intentionally wanting to create a more interesting story, which I think is like large, largely like mm. ego based. Like mm-hmm. I didn't even necessarily want to go to a lot of the places that I went to. I just thought it would be an interesting story, you know. So cool! I'll just like stop my life here, sell you know a little bit of stuff that I have you know in my car and whatnot, and you know get a one way ticket to South America or Southeast Asia or you know when we were twenty. I don't know how old, 22 or something like that, bought a motorcycle and rode, did this like 12,000 mile trip through Mexico and Central America. The intention was to go down to Patagonia, but we ended up, ended up just doing a full 
circle through Central America and then back up the other side, up through Mexico and Texas. So, but a big part of that going into those scenarios, really honestly, it wasn't like coming from an authentic place. It was really kind of a place of like, oh, I think this would be an interesting thing to talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, so now I can try to do less of that. And I'm grateful for, you know, whatever got my foot in the door to do kind of things that are pretty interesting. You know, I got a lot of lessons out of the experiences. And I guess where you started with the whole body transformation thing, it was mostly, as you called it, superficial health, right? Where you're kind of sculpting and building your muscles. So when did that transformation take place where you became more interested in alignment and more of the internal structure of the body and also the mind and how that influences the body? So I started off being a decent athlete. And I was like lanky and not impressive to look at, but I was decent at ice hockey. Like, you know, in my low level teams that I played on, I was like, you know, high scorers and all that stuff. I was like, I was like an athlete. I felt like an athlete. Didn't feel like that growing up. I felt very, like I never talked to anybody. My uncle would call me mumbles, which is like, so like not nice in retrospect. Like, why would you, as an uncle, like, why would you do that? But I would just go to, you know, family get togethers or whatever. And I just would not feel in place at all. I wouldn't say anything to you know anybody and just kind of be feel out of place. But with the bodybuilding stuff, I started to become much less of an athlete as mm-hmm. I started to feel like, oh, I want to pack on all this muscle just so I can feel safe. I can feel like cool. You know, I can feel like loved, you know, all, all these different things. I was, I was kind of hanging my hat on physicality, my worth on physicality. And inevitably the pieces, if you push the system hard enough, the pieces will start to wear out or maybe snap or explode or break. And so I started to have that where I was just in from such an imbalanced way training my body, like really focusing just on like the muscles that I would see in the mirror, essentially, like I was a big dumb animal, Uh, you know, so lots of work on building my chest up and, you know, just all the, you know, biceps and all things. And then that led to a lot of issues. So I had shoulder dislocations and I had like pretty much like chronic back pain. I would say, you know, I had like a big, I had like an ankle dislocation. Just my my joints were like becoming instable as a product of me really destabilizing them through improper training practices. And so then that turned into me seeking out help essentially. And also moving, I think again, moving to Hawaii, I got into jujitsu, you know, and started hanging around people that are in like different stuff other than just like bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. It's really environment, you know, like we're creatures of our environment. So whatever the catalyst was that got me to go to a different pool, you know, go to a different aquarium being Hawaii, I think just being in that environment and being around different social influences that started to form my mind and form, you know, the way that I operated in my body and, and what I, what I, what I deemed to be like optimal for me or like what my goals or desires were, they started to shift. Hey there, really quickly, have you wanted to find your purpose or be more grateful or start a daily meditation practice, but you're not quite sure where to begin? Well, if inner work is like a drop of water, thehappinessinsiders.com is like your ocean. That's my online community where you can learn real world techniques for cultivating more fulfillment from the inside out. So whether it's learning how to manifest abundance or access your potential or overcome fear or even just start walking every day. I've got a blueprint for you, which means you no longer have to use any more shoddy guesswork. 
And you don't have to use the lone wolf approach to improving yourself. For a small accountability fee, you'll get community, you'll get accountability directly from me, and you'll get comprehensive instructions for getting your meditation practice off the ground. And for my podcast listeners, you'll receive 30% off of the all access pass if you go to thehappinessinsiders.com right now and use the promo code HAPPY. Again, thehappinessinsiders.com. Enter the promo code HAPPY and you'll get 30% off on a yearly all-access pass, which gives you access to dozens of inner work challenges and masterclasses, such as my 108-day meditation challenge, which has an 80% completion rate. Plus, you get to join me live for weekly meditations on Zoom and much, much more. That's thehappinessinsiders.com. The code is HAPPY. All right, back to the episode. So you were a physical trainer, but you were lifting improperly or what oh, you, yeah. you, what you mean sure. is you, you weren't considering all of the variables that I guess more integrated yeah. holistic people would consider today. Yeah. I just wasn't so interested. Like I got great results for clients, but I wasn't mm-hmm. so interested or just, I mean, I was 16, like 16, 17, 18. Like I was, you know, reading, I got my, like my NSCA certification. I got an ACE certification. I read, you know, a lot of my information came out of men's health, you know, and it was just like really like basic bitch kind of stuff. But I looked, in, I looked impressive, you know? And so right. I think that that's like, you're like your own. The medium is the message. <laughs> the medium is the message. Yeah, for sure. You know, and so I think I looked impressive. And so people kind of trusted me. And I was I was fairly decent at putting on almost like a front that I knew what was going on. You know, and so I think that I think there was like just a lot of acting going on with that. And especially being, I mean, being like a young person and essentially having like an adult job, like working with people that are like real people. You know, they're like in their thirties and they do like real adult, like life things. And I'm teaching them about nutrition and teaching them about proper lifting mechanics and creating meal plans and workout plans. There's like an immense amount of imposter syndrome kind of sensation. You know, so I put a lot, there was a lot of acting going on throughout that. And ultimately, I mean, there's still acting going on. There's acting going on in our lives all the time. I think that's like, we're continually pushing our boundaries. So you act into your boundary. And then suddenly you move through that boundary and then you're not acting anymore. You're there. You know, so I think that that was a thing that was, that was pretty present for me growing up. What was the catalyst that enlightened you to these other dimensions to health and exercise? Did you have an Obi-Wan Kenobi figure who you, whose book no. you read or who you met? And it was like, hey, hey, hey. No one particular one. Lots of like in-person teachers along the way and mm-hmm. then got into more of specific people like, you know, books and then the internet started becoming more of a thing. You know, when I'm in like right. my, my like early twenties, it was more like, Oh yeah. Like social media is popping up and it's like more of a common thing to get information off, off the internet. So yeah, I started to have more teachers, but I really got obsessive about finding instructors online, at least probably like eight years ago was the beginning of that. But before that was mostly just seeking out in-person people to help me. You know, so there was, there was various different ones, but no one no, like especially mentionable. You opened up an office, right? In Bend first? I did. Like yeah, 2006 yeah. or something like that? 
Yeah. So I, I left, Boulder. I was living in Boulder. I moved from Hawaii to Boulder, Colorado with a girl. So I wanted to mm-hmm. be like a, like a ski, ski bum slash like trainer ski bum. So Hawaii was like, Oh, I'll be like a trainer surf bum. And I'll be a trainer ski bum. And I went to the Rolf Institute out there. So that was Rolfing is like a form of manual therapy mm-hmm. or hands-on body work. Yeah. I've lived out there for about five years and then moved to, to bend again, just to change up. It's kind of like a molting type thing. Like a shedding of your skin is a snake kind of thing. Like by changing the place, I was the, the student of this thing called Rolfing, you know, and a student of man before that I was already a massage therapist. So I went to massage school when I was, I was in Hawaii years before that, but then transitioned and moved to bend to kind of come into like a, a place of not being the student, but kind of come in a place of like, Oh, I'm like, I'm the professional here. You know, so I went to Ben and, and opened up an office and that was called aligned therapy. Eventually the, f- the first one was called like, I think one body. We did that for a little bit. I did that with, with some other people actually, and then opened up aligned therapy. And then in aligned therapy, that was the beginning of align everything, you know, align, align podcast was the first part that it became like something outside of just working one-on-one with clients. But before the podcast started, my goals, hopes, wishes, desires, everything was to have a successful practice. And then I got to that point where I was seeing all the clients that I could see. And I had other people working with me and whatnot. It wasn't anything big. It was, it was like two other people that worked with me. But it was like, cool, like I've reached the goal, you know, and right. I'm 27 or 20, you know, whatever age that was. And it felt very unfulfilling. And then it felt unfulfilling. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cause you're trading your time for money. It sounds great. It sounded great for me, but there's something about having the ongoing challenge of once I reach the goal to mm-hmm. me, it's, it just becomes really dissatisfying. And so I kind of reached like the peak of what I could do with seeing clients and then starting the podcast. That was the beginning of like, oh, okay, well now there is no peak. It's this, this infinite growth potential. So then the mountain just, you know, it got dramatically bigger. Now there's like really like no top to the mountain, I don't think. When you say you reached the peak of seeing clients, that means you were booked all day long, every day, seeing clients. You had no more time to trade for yeah. your, your money. Yeah. So there's really nowhere else to go from there, oh, except for maybe raising it. your rates or whatever. Yeah. But it's just like, it's just boring. Like there's not really anything that intriguing about that. And I have value and appreciation and almost admiration, maybe not admiration, but because it's not something I especially admire, but I have appreciation for people that can do that and just have a practice or have their nine to five or whatever their thing is, just have everything organized and they're totally good with it. But for me, I just lose all of my motivation. And I just, I'm just like, I'm like checked out because I don't, I don't have that thing that I'm like reaching for. What do you feel like was your unfair advantage when you were building that first business? Because I'm sure there are other physical therapists and people working in the same area and people even who look good and bodybuilding and whatnot. But why do you think people came to you versus anyone else? I think probably my unfair advantage, if I was thinking of it from that lens, Probably not just my dad, but like the kind of weird childhood stuff that I had, (laughs) you know, being really like sensitive to social cues and, you know, how people reacting to what I'm saying and people that grew up in, I wasn't really like ever physically abused. I got like spanked every now and again, but I I didn't have any physical abuse growing up. 
they learn a lot. Like you learn so much, but having that, that hype and it, it can become overdrive where you're, you know, your acuity becomes something that's like, now it's tormenting you where it becomes almost like a PTSD thing where you hear someone goes to shake your hand. You think they're going to punch you in the gut. It's like, okay, well, like let's draw back a little bit, but having that exposure allowed me to, I think, just become a more sensitive and compassionate person. Can you recall any stories where you like picked up on something that your client was actually surprised that you were able to detect, but you knew it from your background? Nothing really particular, but there's, there's always, there's a weird space in the world of like manual therapy or body work, or depending upon who you see, like physical therapy or chiropractic or maybe, you know, doctors, but people that like work with, with clients Mm -hmm. and patients, there's like an intuition that does exist where it's certain people have different, you know, you call it like voyances, you know, some people might see colors. Like I don't have any of that stuff. <laughs> what I have is I just get like these strong sensations to like, Oh, you like work with the hip or ask them about whatever the thing is confidence or just whatever. It's just like, Whoa, like say that or do that. And so I don't have any specific like, Oh, like this moment when that thing happened, but there was just, many consistent patterns of being quiet enough, I guess. Cause when you're doing a session with someone, especially like manual therapy, especially if it's not just like I'm clocking out and kind of like massaging the person, but we're actually working on like engineering the body, you mm-hmm. know, and you're, you know, you're being still with that person. And it's, you know, it's essentially just a long meditation. And in that time frame, doing that for, you know, five, six hours a day, just going woof with the next person, woof with the next person. It really does start to turn on these, these interesting, like intuitive, almost like superpowers in a way. You know, we all have access to all of that stuff. If you're like a, if you're like a businessman, you would probably have that when you're doing a deal. And if you mm-hmm. haven't done a deal for a while, you might be kind of like rusty. You won't like pick mm-hmm. up on things that you would. You know, so I think that that was, I think that that growing up in kind of unsafe ish, like I was, I was pretty safe overall, but like emotionally not, not safe environment, I think was really informative for me to be a more like intuitive person. So for you at that time, it sounds like success would have been equated to getting your time back while still doing the things that you love to do. Yeah. Big on time, just big on ongoing challenge. The second that I'm being paid 20 bucks an hour or 60 bucks an hour or whatever it is, when it's like an hourly rate, Mm -hmm. I just lose all motivation. Mm -hmm. So when it becomes a thing of, okay, cool, here's this project, you know, and here's the amount that you're going to get, like finish the project. Then I start getting, oh, there's all these innovations. Like, well, we do this and it's more efficient. It'll be faster. So just having that challenge of any sort is the thing that really, yeah, it it makes me feel more, more content and it can get me in, in trouble a bit, especially with like relationships. You know, so mm-hmm. I can start to have avoidant behaviors and relationships when I feel like, oh, like you love me, <laughs> you know, like you really love me, <laughs> you know? And so historically, that's a thing that I noticed come up in my, myself where if someone doesn't love me, then it becomes this game for me, which is terribly toxic. You know, it's like, I apologize for any person that I've done this with. You know, but it's it's something that I've I've it's still there for me. You know, I, I can like see it happen. So that sensation of okay, you don't love me, you don't want me. I'll make you love me. I'll make you want me. And then once you do, I'm kind of done. Now I don't know what to do because the game is over. That's been something that's been like a kind of a reoccurring theme 
for me, I think in general, which again, harks back to me actually appreciating people that are good with just living seemingly like banal kind of consistent lives and being totally cool with it, you know, and just loving football, you know, and wings, you know, and vacations. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, that's cool. I'm glad that you can be into that. What inspired the move to Los Angeles? Since you wanted to get out of the time for money situation, you went down there and opened up an office. What what was going to be different about this experience? I think Los Angeles, I think I moved to Los Angeles, same reason most people moved to Los Angeles. I was in like granola, crunchy meccas of North America, all growing up essentially outside of Pennsylvania. So I went to Hawaii and then Boulder, Colorado, then Bend, Oregon. And they're all just these like really amazing healing spaces, very like progressive, which now I don't really align with the term progressive anymore since, you know, last March or March of 2020, but places where people were into pretty innovative stuff, you know? And so, and, and lots of different like alternative healing and just, you know, so I had the opportunity to gather, to like develop my toolbox of working with clients and working with myself and still very much in process of putting my own pieces together. You know, and so it's like I'm still looking for tools. And I'm still right along the journey, haven't like arrived in any any which location, but felt like the toolbox was pretty full enough, and felt like I had something that was special. You know, which I think a lot of people moving to LA think they're special. You know, and so I think that that was kind of that was the kind of thing for me. I was like, oh, I want to go and like do something bigger. You know, so do the podcast and interview bigger name people and just be among a group of people that are kind of like having greater influence on the planet, you know, which I think some level of, of that, you know, it's a combination of maybe insecurity and like wanting to be seen, you know, cause I think if you really want to be seen, it probably comes from a place of feeling unseen. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think there was a, you know, a, a, a touch of that along with a dash of actually having something novel and interesting and and wanting to share it and cultivate it and develop it and be around other people that are doing similar things like that. So I think LA was kind of a, like a mixed bag. You were one of the earlier podcasters out of all yeah. the podcasters that are around today, myself included, you've been doing, you've been in the game since what, 2015 or something like that, or 2016? Some, something like that. Yeah. I think it's been six, six and change years. It's like close to seven years. So did you find that that was the moment where your impact or your reach really exploded is through the podcast or was it kind of quiet on those early, earlier days? Oh yeah. When you start a podcast, especially, I mean, I got lucky because when I start my well, lucky, I just, you know, did what I did, but there wasn't so many podcasts. So I was able to get like bigger guests mm-hmm. and there was just less competition. There's less, less right. things to listen to. And so if you got reached out to say, Hey, do my podcast you know, seven years ago or eight years ago or whatever, it's like, oh, okay, like this is interesting. Like someone's going to interview me on a thing. <laughs> so, so previously, if you're going to get interviewed, it was like, oh, okay, it's like TV or a big magazine or something like that. Then suddenly everyone becomes an interviewer, you know, or a journalist. And so I kind of, I, I was able to like sneak into that time frame and be able to get pretty meaningful guests when I had mm-hmm. zero audience. You know, and I think a part of that really as well is just like a similar thing of like 
having intuition with working with clients, you know, having intuition with when you're writing messages, which I did a terrible job at many times. I burnt some relationships because I was too persistent. I don't think I know I burnt several relationships because I was too persistent. Some of those relationships I've recovered. When you get to talk to somebody in person, you get to like, okay, like this is who I, this is who you are. We can kind of, when you're like, you know, I was like just rapaciously just blasting out messages to people when I first started the podcast. Like I was really, I don't know what I was thinking. I was like a crazy person. I would like get up early in the morning. I was living in Bend when I started the podcast. I get up early in the morning. It'd be like snowy out. I go out and I have like little short shorts on, no shoes, go like running in snow. And I was just, I was really like, I was way more inspired in a lot of ways than, than I've ever been. I don't know what it was exactly, but I was like, I was like, yeah. And that inspiration could be really endearing to some people, but it could also be like a big turnoff. You know, and so I was a little overexcited. I don't just like young. I think I still am in a lot of ways. Again, like this this whole journey thing is like I'm still smacked out right in the, the beginning of it, I think ultimately. But yeah, so I was just messaging everybody, you know, and it ended up working out that if I sent out a hundred messages to people that would be you know pretty cool to record with, five of them would say yes. <laughs> You know, and so yeah, it built from there. But the big thing with with gaining any level of like traction with the podcast really was just doing other people's podcasts. You know, and so there was one, probably the primary one that that got to a point of like actually garnering me an audience of some sort, like to make it be like, oh, I'm like I'm actually doing a podcast, like I do a podcast, you know, as opposed to just I'm talking to nothingness and no microphone. Was do you know Chris Ryan? This Sex at Dawn book, Sex at Dawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the book. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the one that popped. Yeah, so that was really supportive. So he he had his audience. He was on Rogan's podcast a bunch. So he had his audience, and then he randomly invited me to come onto his podcast Mm because I was inviting him to come onto my podcast. And and that's just the way things happen. You know, you got to just throw a bunch of shit at the wall, and then sometimes some of it works out. But I was just, I was just hucking, hucking shit. It's like swimming, you know. You're just, you're just trying to tread at water. You're just trying to keep yourself up, you know. It's I was telling someone the other day, it's, into a boat. it's like dating. It's like you're always trying to date a little bit higher than you know what you're normally used to. And it's so there's a, a lot. It's of- a disease, though. It's a disease. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that's one of the, the the biggest diseases of modernity is the FOMO sensation and always wanting to date up and friend up. And it's mm-hmm. like the friend up, those people that you are your super bros, you know, that you know so well, and you guys are homies and you follow each other on Instagram that you know for six months, they're doing the same <laughs> shit with you. Right. You know, and the people that liked you before you had some avatar, you know, mm-hmm. and they're just really engaging with the avatar as a means to promote their own avatar, you know, or whatever, whatever their thing is, they're trying to build their business or, you know, whatever, whatever the thing is those people are so invaluable because they just really, they just liked you. That was it. They just liked hanging out with you. They appreciated you. Mm. you know, so I, I think that sensation of always leveling up, leveling up, it's like level up some things, you know, but also find appreciation in what you have. You know, there's a, there's a book, The Soul of, of Money. Have you ever heard of that one? Yeah. I haven't read it, but I've heard of it. That's a good one. I really enjoy it. I read, I don't know, I don't know, five years ago or something like that. So it's a little, little blurry. But one of the bits that stood out for me with that was, and this is, I think, something that's been really supportive of me in my life. And it, it just, it's, I think it's like a, like a law of the universe in a way. But in order to get more, 
maybe it's not a law. I mean, you probably break this one every now and again. Uh, maybe you get more and feel actually content and satisfied. But you have to truly appreciate what you have. You know, so if you're always in that place of just like, ah, oh, man, this just sucks. You know, I think it's like, well, like, can you learn how to appreciate this terrible rain? You know, because the terrible rain is just an idea. That's just a story that you're, you know, agreeing upon in your mind. You know, it's also this beautiful, amazing rain. It's like, oh wow, it's like electric, and it's like, it's like enlivening. You know, so when you can put yourself in that scenario, and that's what you know, meditation is. That's what doing any type of like hard thing. People who do hard things in quotations tend to lead happier lives, I think, you know, because mm-hmm. when you actually know what it means to suffer, which I don't think I truly know what it means to suffer, you know, in comparison to people that like, like suffer, suffer, you know, but we, we can't, you can't measure suffering because ultimately, you know, we're all having our own version of that. And just because someone on paper, it seemed like they went through something much more terrible than someone else. That doesn't mean the person that went through the thing that wasn't so bad on paper, maybe their internal turmoil and experience where they could have been much worse. So it's really hard to like have like measuring sticks on that. But, you know, suffering, suffering is supportive in a lot of ways. And if you can appreciate what you have, then I think it's like, like allows you to level up in a safe way to more. But if you continue to seek more in the expectation that it will bring fulfillment I don't think it happens that way, you know? So it's a, it's like a, a gift to be granted a pile of shit every now and again. That's one of the things that I really admire about not just your work, but your overall presence, right? Because I've listened to several of your interviews and you can speak to so many different experiences. And like you said, maybe it's because of the background that you had, but it transcends physicality. It transcends even emotional experiences and you're talking about diet, you're talking about your jawline, you're talking about your muscles, you're talking about, and this is around the time that you and I, I think crossed paths. I can't remember exactly where it was. Maybe it was at one of those West side parties or something like that. But I remember seeing you at the old little grassy, the plot of grass, I guess, is that the old muscle beach area or something like that? Original muscle beach, they call it. That's the original muscle beach in Santa Monica slash Venice. Yeah. Yeah. And you were like the acro guy. Go ahead. Yeah. That's where dudes in like the fifties and sixties, see like the old scoop photos of dudes wearing little skibbies, you know, Mm -hmm. picking up girls up above their head and whatnot. Well, when Schwarzenegger in Pumping Iron, when he was like laying out with his buddies and those girls, was that where they were? Was that around where they were laying out? Around there. Yeah. Around there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like, there's like, yeah, we've been to the old Gold's gym. The Gold's gym that Arnold worked out is actually a different place. Yeah. So it's a, it's a cool, it's a really, it's a a cool thing to be in those, those spaces, just to like be in like the aura of it. I think it changes you. And I think that places and materials and all that. I think it, it holds, I don't know this in an embodied way, but intuitively I feel like it holds like a memory of sorts. Right. Let's talk about the tenets of the align method and just yeah. everything that you stand for in that, in that area. Yeah. Well, the align method is a philosophy, you know, so mm-hmm. it's not a, a specific methodology so much. It's really a conglomeration of the consistent principles that you would gather from most any movement practice, you know, so whether you're weightlifting or dancing or doing yoga or, you know, maybe the different varieties of weightlifting, Olympic weightlifting or powerlifting or bodybuilding, 
there's there's consistent golden threads throughout all of that that a mm-hmm. person can really easily integrate into their daily life. And so for me, the missing link with working with the clients was, you know, we'd have these amazing sessions, we create change, it was awesome. We're like, wow, woohoo. And then all of their issues and anybody that's worked with anything in their body and first seen therapists, I probably have experienced this. I've experienced this. Like, I think it's pretty consistent. And you come back and like, cool, pretty much the same, a little better, pretty much the same, sometimes worse. So for me, the really like the, the elephant in the room in that conversation is what are you doing for the other you know, 16 hours of the day, the, the 15 hours of the day? You know, so looking at what's the, the shape of your home. You know, what's the, your environmental conditions like? What's the ergonomics of your, of your office? Have you paid attention to the manner in which you breathe throughout the day? Have you paid attention to the manner in which you use your eyes, your visual muscles? Because they're a continuation of your central nervous system. You know, so when your eyes are in that myopic focused state, it's a beautiful thing. It puts you into more executive function, kind of like, you know, sympathetic, like get stuff done mode which is awesome. And then the other side, you know, the duality of our nervous system, the autonomic nervous system would be that so-called parasympathetic side. You know, so the side that's in that more like rest, digest, you know, repair, menstruate, digest, like do all the things that, you know, your body does when it's not being chased by a lion, which is like the overused metaphor, you know? And so when you relax your eyes and take in the panorama, you know, look out a window, just allow yourself to space out. It literally sends a signal throughout the rest of your autonomic nervous system, like, oh, okay, cool. Like light can calm down. You know, we're chilling right now. You know, so but then all of a sudden an intruder comes in the door. Do you think you're gonna take in the whole room when an intruder comes in the door? You're gonna look at that motherfucker right in the eyes. And you're probably gonna scream, you know, ah! <laughs> you know, and you're so your eyes, like, who did that? What did that? It's your autonomic nervous system, your reptilian mammalian deeper self. It's like all of a sudden that comes up and becomes the forefront personality. It's been sleeping there all along. It's been running the show all along. But then that scenario, that environmental condition will start to draw that out. And if you step back and look at yourself, you're just like, wow, like I didn't dilate my pupils, you know, or I didn't like I didn't do any of that. I'm just being played by my environment. That's like the a far end of the spectrum intruder in my house. Okay, my physiology gets played by that. But that's also happening when all of the more seemingly like like the gray areas of life. You know, like it's still happening. You're still being played by your environment. But for the most part, the way that we're being played is where you know we're hunching over chairs, we're in forward head posture, our shoulders are being rolled forward, might be developing like carpal tunnel type patterns in our wrists. We're probably not getting full expansive breaths out of our, our ribs and our diaphragm and you know all of that sends signals essentially says it like you're losing in a way you know and if you're losing you might feel a little depressed right which is you know one of the number one leading causes of disability worldwide i'm just depressed you know if you look at what is the meaning of depressed it's to pull down well, mm. what the hell does a body look like when it's depressed it's pulled down it's mm-hmm. a one-to-one connection you know so once you start seeing the body in these ways where everything truly is tied together, the way the person uses their eyes, the way that the person, their postural patterns, the way they express with their, their facial gestures, all of that, it's a window into who they are. It's a window to who they, who they, or who they think they are in that moment. 
And once you start to see the world that way, you can't unsee it. It just keeps on, you know, you're like, oh my God, like more, you know, you just want to, you want to under, well, I want to understand it more. What are some of the principles that go against convention, like things that are a bit controversial, even things that we thought were one way, but actually it's completely different from what most people assume about alignment or about well, health? Or- I mean, a, a primary one would be that sitting is killing you. Sitting is like, that's what you do as a human. You sit around. Mm. Like most of your day, you're going to be in resting positions. And there's actually researchers from University of Southern California that went out to Northern Tanzania and they actually mm-hmm. put different measuring devices to measure what the Hatsa tribes people are doing with their joints throughout the day with their hips. And mm-hmm. what they found was that they were resting about the same amount of time as most industrialized populations. Now, mm. I think the number was eight point nine, two hours on average each day was like the average, which is pretty much what we all do. You know, you're walking around a little bit and then you're resting a little bit and you walk around a little bit and you rest a little bit. Maybe you like, you know, you might jog for something really quick and, but we're doing the same thing. You know, there's more congruencies between all types of people than there are differences. I think if Mm -hmm. you really get into it, you know, and it's finding that common ground, I think is more important than ever before, because we're in such like this interesting bipartisan, like split, you know, like choose your side, you know? And so I think seeing the world from someone else's lens, you know, and really making an effort to find the common ground with the other, suddenly that distance between you and the other diminishes and suddenly the need to have a war, you know, starts to be like, oh, like, why are we going to do that? <laughs> If I'm going to hurt somebody else. And I perceive the world through, you know, that I see all these consistencies and it's like, oh, I'm kind of ultimately hurting myself. But anyway, so these Hansa people, they are sitting about the same amount of time as industrialized populations, but the way they're doing it is they are squatting for a high percentage of the day. They're kneeling for a high percentage of the day, and they're sitting on the ground like you and I have for the last hour. And when they're in those positions, their body heals. Like these are, are inborn mechanisms, healing mechanisms to circulate lymphatic fluid, to you know, repair our bodies at a cellular level, to repair our joints, to open up that range of motion, to replenish all of the fluid, all the hydration, the hyaluronic acid, and all the stuff that those joints bathe in to stay healthy. And when mm-hmm. you take them out of those ranges of motions for a while, and you put them into just very repetitive motions over and over again for years and years and years, those muscles and tendons and ligaments and joint capsules, they start to kind of like freeze over, you know, and then you start to feel stuck in your body and you start to maybe even feel like imprisoned in your body. You feel trapped. You're like, oh man, I want to get away. I want to do something crazy. You know, I want to buy a Corvette, you know, get a convertible or I'm going to move to Zimbabwe. I'm going to do some crazy stuff. You know, and perhaps maybe some of that urge to do something because I just, I, I just want to get out. I want to, ugh. maybe if we can start to get into the experience of feeling more free in our bodies, maybe that sensation of like feeling trapped and wanting to get away. I realize I'm kind of getting into like some metaphysical weeds with that, but I think it's really interesting how the way that a person communicates with their body, you can read so much information in that and the way that you communicate with your own body. So it's a worthwhile task to just start to pay attention to it. I've heard you say that the body 
And this may be another one of those misconceptions. The body is always on your team. The body is never against you. And so what a beautiful thing, man, to start to perceive your body, not as your opponent or your adversary or something separate from you, you know, or something that, oh, I need to reach out for someone else. I don't know what's going on in this thing. That's something that you've been indoctrinated with. That's something that is a product of the environment that we come, like the allopathic model of medicine, which is so cool. You chop your arm off, you know, you have some type of like really serious disease. You got some, you know, you're in a river and you got some parasite or whatever. It's so cool that we have access to that, but it's not the whole story of health and wellness. You know, so I think that when you come from a place of continually reaching out for medicine, uh, you know, come from a place of, of reaching out for some expert to tell us what to do with ourselves. Yeah, it's not a very empowered position to be in. And I think within that as well, with advertising and consumerism, you know, we're getting bombarded by hundreds and thousands of advertisements every day telling you that you're not well, you'll be good when you get this. You're not that cool, you'll be cool when you get this. You're not successful, you'll be successful when you get this. Like subconscious level, you know, we're tracking in our subconscious mind something like, what is it? A hundred thousand bits of information or our conscious minds like a hundred bits of information, something like that. You look up the specific number. It's a lot to a little, you know, it's like, it's like an iceberg. And so throughout the day, I think we're subconsciously picking up on all those subtle cues from mm. advertising and, and such, and also other people that are exposed to that. So then they reinforce that, that to us. So within that, you're being told that you're broken essentially. And so I think a, a, a beautiful reframe would be to come from a place of saying, okay, this fat on my body is a signal. This mm -hmm. inflammation that I'm experiencing is a signal. My body's communicating to me. <laughs> like, what, what, like, what are you saying? You know, so when, if you can start to change the lens of like, oh, like, no, screw my body. Like, why are you fat? Why are you inflamed? You know, why are you depressed? Why are you anxious? Ah, it creates greater separation, which now you're in this double bind. So now you, you're not on your team. So before your body was, it's like you, if your kid came home and he was maybe speaking some other language, maybe you just kid was so stressed out that he's like, he's speaking gibberish and you don't understand what he's saying, but you know, we had a rough day. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't be like, oh, screw my kid, you know, give him some diet pills. You know, you'd probably be like, you'd sit with your kid and be like, what's going on? Like you would try to interpret what he's saying. And so with our body, I think that we can have that same relationship where we start to say like, oh, cool. Like you feel anxious. Okay. Like, what are you telling me? Oh, there might be a lot of variables here There, we could look at, we can go into the line method or we get into some of lights work or we can get into, and there's so many different great resources and books that break down. Like, oh, maybe there's some environmental conditions that are making you stressed out. Maybe the, the lighting in your house is stressing you out. Maybe you got to get some red lights, you know, or get some salt lamps or something like tone those lights down. Once the sun goes down, you know, maybe your bed, your room temperature is just, you're too freaking hot when you're sleeping at night. You know, you're waking up a bunch of times, you know, your HRV is terrible. You're, you're not getting any deep sleep. Maybe you are a mouth breather. So throughout the day, you're, you're huffing and puffing through your mouth, sending the signal that you're under attack. It's sending your signal that you're in like in the, the book, we call it like your fifth gear. Right. You know, so if you're, if you're, 
it's totally fine. There's no like, it's not a bad thing. It just, it's, it's, it's telling your physiology that you're topping out of fifth gear for the rest of the day, unless you're running up a mountain or maybe having some kind of like sexual episode or something, bringing your breath, slowing it down, breathing through your nose, you know, emphasizing maybe the exhalation would be a beautiful tool because that exhalation is tied into that, that parasympathetic side of the nervous system calms you Mm -hmm. down. Mm-hmm. These are all tools that you have access to, you know. And so, if your body feels away, instead of just saying, "Oh my God, I'm you know I'm broken. I gotta find somebody to fix me," it's like hold, like hold on. Maybe your body's just suggesting that you look a little bit closer, you know, or you maybe find a teacher, or, you know, maybe you just start hanging around some people that are inspiring to you because, you know, when you're around them, they just they seem well, you know. Start asking them questions like, "Wow, you seem well." <laughs> like what how was your sleep like how do you sleep do you have any traditions like what do you eat throughout the day you were saying that back in the day you looked like you were had a perfect body but inside all this other stuff was going on so how would someone know like who's actually aligned in the alignment method criteria and and who just looks like they're aligned but they're not really aligned and they're going to get you on all kinds of whatever just drink a bunch of protein powders. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, so this, I mean, this is easy. And so deadlift. There's, there's, I would reference Charles Bukowski in the book. I, I have actually have this, this quote from him, but he says, paraphrasing something along the lines of, of there's these free souls walking around the world, you know, and you might get it from meditation. You might get it from, you know, whatever the thing is, but mm-hmm. when you're around a free soul, you know, you don't, they don't necessarily look any different, but you're around them. You feel away. Mm. you know and it's it's like oh like you're that you're on that free soul shit you know and so when you're around someone that's juiced to the gills on whatever they're juiced to the gills Mm -hmm. on and you know they're working out for all of the wrong reasons essentially Mm -hmm. when you're around that person you don't feel like oh cool like i want that you know and so we're picking up more cues than just oh that person has a a a, you know a big lat spread (laughs) you know or they have big biceps You know, we're picking up cues from their eyes. We're picking up cues from their tongue. We're picking up cues from postural patterns. We're picking up cues from, you know, there's there's so many subtle cues that we pick up with people. So I think if you're around somebody that they make you feel good, and it's not just hitting on some old trauma, you know, where you have like a trauma bond with a person, which is also fun. (laughs) Um, I think that's the thing. And you're going to make mistakes. You know, it's like if you know you used cars really well, you know, you still might get a used car that's like, oh, like bought 50 cars, 49 were pretty good. Like that one got me, you know, mm-hmm. and I think patterns run deep with people. You know, someone could be a total sociopath, you know, and have no empathy or connection to like the, the, the feelings or sensations of other people, but mm-hmm. they seem like they have this great personality, you know, and they seem really healthy and split personalities. People that have multiple personalities, they can switch physical traits. You know, so they could have one, you know, Lisa might have a burn or a rash someplace and Mary doesn't, you know, or Lisa has, has contacts. Your eyes don't work well, you know, and Mary's eyes work great. You know, so suddenly she, she can flip over and literally you can have structural physiological changes based off of who you believe you are. So I guess in short, I don't think there's an absolute to that question, mm-hmm. but in general, I think we can kind of, you know, we, we're sensitive people. It ties back to what you were just saying about the body communicates. So listen to what the body is saying. And obviously you're going to make mistakes, but 
a kind of like the book, the five love languages, like your body speaks mm-hmm. its own language and you have to figure out how to translate and how to decipher that language yeah. so that when it's, when it is speaking to you, however it's speaking to you, you can recognize, Oh, that's my body telling me X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I don't remember where this study came out of, but the researchers, they took a bunch of criminals, you know, criminals mm-hmm. is, a, is a terrible word, but people that, that partook in violent crimes, because I don't think mm-hmm. any person is a, is a, a criminal. They just made some mistakes. So they took these people that were in there for violent crimes and they showed them a bunch of pictures and videos of different people walking down the street. And what they asked them was, out of these people, who would your who would your prey be? Like who would you be robbing? Who would your the, the victim be? And what they found was it wasn't that whether the person was like white or black or a girl or a guy or gay mm. or straight or whatever, it was the coordination of their movement patterns. Mm. So if you see like a lame duck, you're like, mm. cool, like easy target, right? So if you see a person that has miscoordinated, kind of confused, lackadaisical, Gay. yeah, mm. when they're kind of like, oh, that person's not really like in line. <laughs> they're not aligned. Mm. You know, they're, they're, not, they're not integrated. They're maybe a little bit lost. That becomes an easy target. You know, so we're reading into each other's body language way more than what we think. I'll say one one thing for more like kind of like a research thing is you can look up a guy called Albert Moravian, which was, he was a professor at at UCLA, pretty sure it's UCLA. In the sixties, he came up with a thing called the 55, 38, seven principle. And it suggested that 55% of our communication comes from the way that we move body language. And 38% comes from the tone of our voice. Mm-hmm. And then the last 7% is just the, you know, the actual words that we're saying. And so if there's ever any incongruence between what you're saying to someone and the way that you are saying that with your body or saying that with the tone of your voice, with about 93% consistency, people will trust what your tone and what your body are saying. So mm-hmm. if there's ever incongruence there, your words go out the window. We spend so much time Again, this cultural indoctrination, not bad or good. It's just kind of the way it is, you know, focusing on books and focusing. You want to get, man, you're like a better person. You're like you're a better person if you have a thousand books in the background, you know, wow, like that's so like what a virtuistic person, you know, you're a reader, you know, like that's great. Reading's awesome, but life is not just about filling your head up with information, you know, and then that gets into like, what is, what is wisdom, you know, and what is, what is being able to live a good life. I don't think it's just filling yourself up with stuff. Mm. And so I think a lot of that turning lights on in a person's life would just be bringing greater attention into the way that they live. And you can't get out of the way that you move with the way that you live. To that end, when it comes to like the nuts and bolts, the meat and potatoes of the Align approach, what have you noticed working with clients, which practices or habits have they been able to like brand new people have been able to stick with the longest and get the most benefit from the most return on their investment from if you have to say like two or three things like perhaps sitting on the floor or something you know whatever those changes were if if people like to spend time on the ground which if i work with people they usually do and you know know, see a lot of people on like the internet and whatnot you know saying that it's made a big difference in their lives it's a no-brainer that it'll make a difference like i don't need to be convinced or applauded for suggesting people to spend time on the ground. It's like, it's obvious. So if you go to a yoga class and you do yoga, sitting on the ground is just yoga. 
<laughs> like it's not it's not complex. If you start to integrate more of that into your daily life, obviously your joints are going to work better. Obviously circulation is going to be better. Obviously you're going to be more equipped to be a 90 year old person that still comfortably gets up and down off of the ground. Yeah. When you go to yeah. India, literally you sit on the floor across your legs yeah. to eat every meal. Not a big deal with your hands. It's not. Yeah. Well, that's a nice thing too. You know, so that's a whole different conversation to eat with your hands, but which I think there can be value in that as well. Touch. Nose breathing. Really okay. Thing. Touch. Yeah. Well, so touch wouldn't be a thing that with clients would be like, you need to be touched more. Some people for sure, but something that's just an, an interesting side point in relation to, again, just the conversation of fitness and health and wellness and all that, I think is just much bigger and it's everywhere. So a person being touched, there was a more research from a woman called Dr. Tiffany Fields, and she did research with preemie babies that were in incubators. So they would go in these incubators, they're getting all the nutrition that they need, but they're not getting touched. They're in this like vacuum sterile environment, vacuum sealed, sterile environment, not, not vacuum sealed, you know, but this sterile tube. Mm-hmm. And what they started doing is they massaged the babies. I think it was 15 minutes, three times a day. And what they found was the kids that were massaged for just 15 minutes, three times a day, they would be able to digest food better. They'd be able to put on size and they'd start to, I think it was, I think they grew 47% bigger and faster than the other kids that weren't having any touch in their daily lives. And then they would also be released from the incubators, obviously much sooner as well. You know, so that's another one of those random sneaky things where it's like, okay, like what is nutrition? Is nutrition just food? Okay. Well, I mean, sun, that's like a physical object, like photons, you know, and our body absorbs that and we create vitamin D and, but then I could put vitamin D into my mouth, but it's not as good as the sun. So it's like sun is like food. So, okay. So, okay. I think sun's like food. All right. Well, touch that's sending this signal into my body to respond in a different way. Suddenly I feel safe. Okay, cool. I feel safe. Now I digest better. You know, now all of a sudden all these systems in my body that may have felt like a little bit more in a place of like, you know, panic or stress or fight flight, they feel seen, they feel safe. They start to upregulate. And now suddenly it's almost like I'm like consuming this. It's like a new it's a touch is almost like a nutrient. You know, so it's a similar thing with the visual information that we take in. You know, so in Ayurvedic medicine, so Peter Crone shared this with me. I haven't read this mm-hmm. in any Ayurvedic books, so you know if I'm wrong, Peter. But essentially from that perspective, they perceive what we take in with their eyes as like we're visually consuming the visual field around us. So if you're looking at a beautiful waterfall, or if you're looking at maybe you go to a ballet, you're watching people dance, or maybe you're looking at people fight each other. Maybe you're looking at porn. Maybe you're looking at war. Maybe you're looking at little kids play like whatever. You are literally processing and consuming that information. You're taking it in and and like almost like digesting it. And it changes the way you produce yourself. Same thing with auditory stuff. You know, so I just think that's such a fascinating thing. I realize I've been rambling on, but it's when you start to perceive the world of like, man, I am just bathing in information right now. You know, so it's like, I, I have, and I have the empowerment or the responsibility, you know, I'm able to respond to augment the shape of my environment and the manner in which I 
I drive this physical machine or body, whatever you want to call it. You know, so when you start to perceive the world through that way, I think it's just like the world opens up, it becomes more interesting. And I think if, if anything, starting to instill that type perspective into clients or into listeners of the podcast or readers of the book or you know, anything, I think that's what I'm doing here. What's this trend? I've seen Max and those guys talk about taping up your mouth at night before you go to bed. Oh, you got to tape your mouth. Yeah. And the nose. <laughs> you got to tape your mouth. got to tape your mouth, man. <laughs> I've been messing up all these 40 something years. No, you <laughs> might. No, you look like a handsome, robust, you know, like strong, my mouth chiseled, chiseled, chiseled features. <laughs> yeah. If you wake up with a dry mouth, mm-hmm. it means you were breathing through your mouth while you're mm-hmm. sleeping. And it means you got to tape your mouth. And the reason for that is your mouth isn't built to <laughs> breathe air. <laughs> it's not what it's for. You know, your nose has 30 odd different functions in relation to respiration. You know, mm-hmm. so one of one of which it's you know, obviously filters the air. So if you care if you're freaking out about germs and stuff, you know, that's like breathe through your nose. It's the, it's your natural filtration mechanism. Um, mm-hmm. if you care about your immune system and cardiovascular health. You release significantly more uh, nitric oxide by taking that air through those nasal passages. Another side note: you can uh, you can increase production of nitric oxide by I read fifteen times through humming. So that process of like you know in yoga or you know med- you go to meditation retreat yoga class they'll have you om mm-hmm. like all that stuff that's been written in various different books and texts and such for thousands of years, science slowly comes back in and says like, Oh, that was actually some good shit. (laughs) 15 times the amount of nitric oxide. When you just hum a little bit, that's cool. Suddenly you're getting better erections. Your workouts are better. If you're not waking up in the morning with an erection, that could be another reason to tape your mouth because you'll be increasing the production of nitric oxide in your body. There's a long, long list. That's we have a whole chapter in the book about nose breathing and the kind of the ins and outs of why that matters. I love that. So I'm sure you got everybody with the erection in the morning thing to go and buy your book. Oh, yeah. But you, you, you've just released a new edition or new version of the book with an additional methodology. Yeah. So we added a new chapter and we did a bunch of revisions. It looks like a completely different book. The first book, I, I kind of looked like, you know, all-American fitness guy on mm-hmm. the front, which I'm not a big mm-hmm. fan of. So I took myself off the cover. I'm just way more proud of like everything about I don't know, like the style of book two. So don't get the version. Are they taking the other version down or how does it well, work? Well, they'll sell it till they'll sell it till the, the hardcover sells out. But they yeah. people who are listening just want to get the version with what's on the cover of oh you definitely you definitely want to get the paperback version. This is a paperback version. When you do the paperback you have an opportunity to kind of like it's like a second go. So, I mean, I wrote the book three years ago, you know, Mm -hmm. so having a second go, like a lot's changed, you know, my perspectives and, you know, so having that, the opportunity to go through and kind of tighten some things up and, you know, the the big thing was we added a whole nother chapter. So in the whole other chapter, we go through an integration movement sequence that essentially ties everything together from the book through the lens of actually like moving. So giving you an opportunity to say something you could, you know, bring along with you in like a hotel room or your house, or you know, if you just want to be a, a more fit person, we incorporate more of that into, into the paperback. I read a story once. It was an anecdote where this French painter, I can't remember his name, but 
this is back in, I guess, the 1800s. And he had come up with a new sort of combination for a color that he was obsessed with. And he and his buddy went to the museum and he saw one of his old pieces that was a few years old. And he had his buddy distract the security guard while he went and touched up the, the old painting because it just bothered him so much that he didn't have the perfect color for that old painting. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, I know... Is. In the publishing industry, it's a very challenging thing to do to get a publisher to re-release the same book with a new touch-up. And so you yeah. must be very persuasive to be able to pull that one off, I imagine. I was surprised. They let me really touch it up. Like, I mean, it's, it's a different trim size. So it's a different... It looks more... Before it was like 283 pages. And now it's like 320 pages. So it looks like a totally different book. Lots of lots of details that are probably not that important for other people other than me. Uh, yeah. And I'm very excited about it. No, that explains it because you guys sent a PDF, which was 320 pages. Then you sent the addendum. And I was like, oh, I've already seen this. This material is actually already in the book. So that makes sense. It already has yeah. a new chapter in that in that new book. Yeah, new chapters, new chapter in there. Yeah. So I'm very grateful for the publishers to allow me to, to do that. And I think it's a more complete book. I, adding more movement to it. I'm really excited. And we put Laird Hamilton, his blurb on the front saying, you know, this book's awesome. And then in the background on the cover, there's like ocean and some sacred geometry and shit that I, mm-hmm. I, just, I think it's cool. Like I look at it, I'm like, I'm like, that's cool, man. Like that's, a, you want to do work that you can step back from it and just be like, wow, like that's, that's dope. Like how cool, you know, that I got to be a part of that as opposed to life being, you know, project to project to project. It's like, you're going to die at some point, you know, like hopefully we can, we can all live a life that's kind of this ongoing process of being able to sit back and have, I was reading recently about the value of awe. Awe is a good thing, you know? So throughout the day, if you can have this moment, you're just like, wow, Mm. you know, having more of that, like that shit is medicine. Mm-hmm. And these are these things that we don't talk about so much in, in the standard Western medical model, you know, in our healthcare system. And it's like, I think incorporating those parts, there's so many healing components, like just interwoven throughout our lives throughout the day, mm-hmm. but we just mm-hmm. got to set our lives up. We got to shift the environment. That's, that's the last thing I'll say. Bruce, Bruce Lipton, I did a podcast with him maybe like a couple of years ago or so. He's the author of biology of belief and, popularized epigenetics, you know, concept, concept of epigenetics. I've been working on that in that field for like 40 years. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he shared in that conversation slash in his book was, you know, if you have a, a cell and you want to change the structure or function of that cell, and it's in a culture and a Petri dish, you don't do anything to the cell itself. You change the environment that it resides within. Mm-hmm. If we feel maybe disempowered, or we feel out of control, or we feel uncomfortable in our own bodies, our skins, you know, whatever it may be. I think sometimes it can be a daunting task to work with the body itself because maybe we're, mm-hmm. we're so disconnected from, it, we don't know where to start. And that's why I wrote the Align Method, you know, was to provide people with an easy, basic breakdown of all of the toggles. But one of those really powerful toggles is to start to look at the world that you inhabit. Mm-hmm. Maybe change the color of the room, maybe change the fun, you know, get a feng shui person to come in and kind of change up the vibe maybe open the windows more often allow more sunlight to come in it's really simple i think i think this health thing is more simple than than most of us think 
I love it, man. Well, listen, I want to loop this back around to childhood. <laughs> and this yeah, is going to yeah, seem go. like a stretch at first, but mm-hmm. if you go with me, you'll see you'll see it all kind of ties together. I'm, I'm so, riding shotgun. I'm here. So this Power Ranger, this blue Power Ranger, right? So the Power Rangers are different colors. And I equate them to the colors of the chakras, right? And so blue is the throat chakra. And the throat chakra is the center for communication. And I feel like your work is largely about helping us to get in tuned and attuned and aligned with our body so that we can be more successful in communicating with the body and therefore communicating with also our extended bodies, our emotional body, our energetic body, our spiritual bodies, so that we can create better life experiences, meaning life experiences that are more in alignment with what we ultimately feel inspired by. And then that allows us to inspire other people. So I think you were onto something when you were a kid and you noticed that color and you said, this is cool. <laughs> I love that. And so here we are, man, 20, 30 years later, talking about how it all kind of connected. And so I just want to acknowledge you for staying the course of your path and taking the leaps of faith that you had to take in order to, to get to where you are today. And thanks for inspiring us all through your book, The Align Method, through your wonderful podcast, which I've been fortunate enough to be featured on with you not that long ago, actually. And you have a bustling social media channel where you're always posting innovative ways of working out. If any of you guys listening to this are ever in Austin, you could probably find Aaron with no shirt on and on it, Jim, or... Or he may be at Gold's with no shirt on outside doing something really interesting. I'm sure you probably have people standing around watching you often, right? Like, what is this guy doing now? How you look at look how he's using this equipment so differently than the than the rest of us. I think it's more like just like what is this guy doing? Not so much in like all or impress being impressed. I think it's kind of just more of a general curiosity. No, just inspired even like because you <laughs> uh, literally, dude. I ha- can't tell you how many times I've been in the gym and after I seen something that you posted and I was like, oh, I'm gonna do this thing differently today because oh, I saw Aaron doing it. I and, love that. Uh, That's the point. Yeah, yeah, That's man. Great. All the time, all the time. I mean, I'm a huge fan of your work and of the yeah. content that you post. So definitely I appreciate that. And I, and I know you're going to keep it. I don't have to tell you to keep it up, but yeah, just know that it, it's having a big impact on a lot of people. So thank you, man. thank you very much for that. I mean, I can mirror all that back at you. And I think it's such a, you really care. Like there's something really special about you where you, you really shines through that you care about people and you're, I mean, I'm sure people listen to this, like they already know that you're like really incredibly authentic, which is an interesting thing to put incredibly, you know, into authentic because <laughs> it should just be like, well, yeah, whatever. You're right. <laughs> like, you're like, cool, like not a compliment. <laughs> but I think in a world where that is becoming, I don't know if it's becoming more rare, but it feels, it's something to cherish, you know, when you meet someone that really does feel like they're authentically themselves, you know, and, and, and so to get to spend this time with you, I really appreciate it, man. Thanks, Thank man. You. And I think I'm the only one that has not moved to Austin yet. So I know, I'm feeling man. a little bit, I'm getting a little FOMO down here in Mexico did, City, watching ex- all you guys hang out. Exclusively to join the bandwagon. Yeah. <laughs> That's honest. Like I have, no, I have no shame in it at all. <laughs> well, you went wakeboarding this afternoon. That's so awesome. Dude, I, I, I you were like, yeah. 
Yeah, it's like, a, and it's a last minute decision. It wasn't even like a thing you have to plan out a week in advance. You know, it's like, let's go wakeboarding. Yeah. And again, that's about creating your environment, creating, mm. you know, it's like setting it up to position yourself to be friends with people that do stuff like that, you know, mm-hmm. choosing the people you spend time with, just being intentional about it, you know, mm. and then your priorities, you know, it's like for me, like I prioritize that stuff because that's what allows me to show up in a better way for this versus if I was just like slammed in, in my computer all day long, kind of like head down. And then I show up, right. Like, eh, right. I'd rather come out of, 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 you know, I was in the water. You know, so I think it's like, for me, I intentionally prioritize that, but you know, it's, it's a choice. I've like actively formed my life to that. I love it. Well, look, man, I look forward to crossing paths again very soon. Hopefully I'm actually yeah. going to be in Austin and not, not too long from now. I've got some stuff brewing, okay. so I will, hit me up. you'll be getting a call from me. I may need a place right. to stay. I don't know, but we'll, yeah, we'll figure that yeah, out for sure. We're great. All right, man. Fantastic. Thank you for tuning in to my interview with Aaron Alexander. His book, The Align Method, is now available everywhere books are sold. His podcast is amazing, so make sure you look up The Align Method and start listening. And to learn more about Aaron and his work, I would suggest starting with his Instagram, which is Align Podcast. So that's A-L-I-G-N-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And his website is alignpodcast.com. We'll put links to everything in the show notes, which you can find at lightwatkins.com slash tunnel. And while you're there, you can search my past podcast episodes by subject matter. So if you want to see episodes like this one, which are about leaps of faith, or if you want to see episodes that are about, I don't know, overcoming financial struggles, you can get a list of all of the episodes on that particular subject. Also, if you feel inspired by these stories and you want to make sure that this podcast continues to stick around for a while, the best way you can support that mission is by leaving a rating or review for the podcast, which is something you can do super quickly by glancing down at your screen and on the Apple Podcast app screen, click on the name of this podcast, which is at the end of the tunnel, scroll down past the previous episodes, you'll see five blank stars. Just tap the star all the way on the right and you've left a rating. Thank you very much for that. And otherwise, I will look forward to hopefully seeing you back here next week with another story from the end of the tunnel. Until then, keep trusting your intuition, keep following your heart, keep taking those leaps of faith. And if no one's told you recently that they believe in you, I believe in you. Thank you so much and have a great day. If you want to get a little extra nudge when it comes to following your heart and taking leaps of faith and believing in yourself each day, then you want to sign up for my free daily dose of inspiration email. You'll join 30,000 other subscribers who receive a short inspirational story or anecdote that's meant to inspire you to become the best version of yourself each day. You can sign up at lightwatkins.com and you'll get your first inspirational message as early as tomorrow. Again, Just go to lightwatkins.com. You can sign up for free and you'll wake up each morning inspired to be the best version of yourself.